Champions Liverpool 3-1 in the Premier League. What a crazy seven minutes. We preview the game against Villa on Sunday. Look forward to Slavia Prague in the last 32 of the Europa League. In association with footballkitmarket.com, it's for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby alongside Rob Hayes. Rob, how is Bob the Builder? I'm all right, thank you. I'm on half term, which is a, an absolute treat because I had a bit of a lie-in. I haven't been to work today. It's the middle of the afternoon. I'm speaking to you not in the in the depths of uh, nine o'clock on a wintry night. It's a little bit warm and Leicester beat Liverpool. I've, I've got nothing to complain about. Apart from the Builder. Apart from the Builder, but we less mentioned about that, the better. Okay. <laughs> We'll, we'll glide past it just like a Harvey Barnes run down the left and we'll concentrate on talking about Leicester beating Liverpool in the Premier League, Leicester playing in the last 32 of the Europa League and Leicester then taking on Aston Villa in the Premier League. What a show, what a win. How to really sum up a few days after the results. Plenty of people would have seen the goals over and over again, seen the mistakes that led to the goals seen the wonderful goal by Liverpool, heard an awful lot about their continuing problems, also a lot of praise for Leicester, obviously they're moving into second, ultimately now third, with Manchester United slipping up against West Brom, drawing away there really is a is a, a bodge by them, but they move into second on goal difference, so Leicester sitting third, sitting pretty though in the Premier League, and then looking forward now to our game away in Prague. A real shame, first of all, that we're not there. Because this is the ultimate, really, away day, isn't it? Yeah, Prague in European competition. But we'll say that now and then never mention it again. But we will look back at Liverpool first, though, Rob. It's it's a win against Liverpool at home. Something Leicester haven't done for an awful long time. Our record against the champions has been poor, home and away. But... We get the three points. We get three goals late on in a crazy seven minutes. Hand on hearts, did you think when Mo Salah scored his goal, Leicester were going to get not only back into the game, but ultimately going to win the game? Did you think they were, they were going to get back and and maybe get a point? And ultimately, that would have been a really good result. But uh, I, first of all, I, I didn't. I thought when they scored, that was game over. Yeah, when when Liverpool scored, finally my heart kind of sank a bit because I thought, you know, the the closer that we got to 75, 80 minutes maybe, um, with the way that we were playing the game, the the more likely I thought we were to get a result. So when Liverpool actually scored, and what a goal, by the way, Firmino's assist for that and, and the casual finish from Salah is just ridiculous. That's the quality that their front three possess. Uh, but at that point, yeah, you, you kind of, your heart sinks a little bit and you think, you know what? We've put in a decent graft for this game. Um, not been the most ambitious of approaches, but but we've we've held Liverpool out uh, in, in several different ways. 
Um, but I thought when it when it went to one nil, I thought you know what, it'd be typical for Liverpool to rediscover their mojo against Leicester, and and I, I pretty much fully expected them to go on and win the game. Not not because. I'm a terrible Leicester supporter or anything like that. It just it just felt like that might be the goal, especially the manner in which it was scored, the, the real quality on show, that it was going to be, bang, Liverpool are back, Leicester are going to suffer as a result. Um, and I, I genuinely, I didn't, at, at that stage of the game, I didn't see a way back. No, neither did I. And Leicester lined up, surprisingly really, we banded around the idea of maybe going oh, three at the back or maybe having... A four, but who's going to play left back? Are they going to try and bring in Christian Fuchs into maybe a back three or play him at left back? Or are they going to bring Thomas into the side and play with a back three and have him as a wing back or play him as a left? All these possibilities I didn't see. I thought they might bring Armati into a back three, which during the game they slightly changed on one or two occasions as they're being pegged back. But it wasn't really bringing Armati in to play right back, essentially, and then have Ricardo Pereira moved over to the other side, essentially matching up to Liverpool's formation. Really quite brave, and then having the three in midfield fairly narrow. It was it, it, it was risky, it was a risk, but it shows the trust, first of all, that he has in Daniel Armati, who I thought played okay for saying he is there at, at right back. And then, because on that side of the field... Um, you had uh, Albrighton who could then drop further back and then ultimately you're playing kind of a back three and everything kind of shifts around, which we did on, on, on more than one occasion because of the pressure that Liverpool put on us. But that was a risk. But I thought the de- defence played very well. I think unanimously the man of the match was Wilfred and Didi. Had a brilliant game. I thought Ricardo Pereira was really good on that side. Uh, changing over to that side, I think there was one or two in the first half especially where slightly got... Yeah, kind of almost looked round and wondered why the players were near him, who who almost who never are because he's on the other side. And as you mentioned, their four or three are just so good, aren't they? They they really are. So for us to hold them, yes, at times it was a bit not Harry Carey, but kind of backs to the wall, but in the controlled manner, I'd say. You know, it wasn't quite the desperate Alamo defending. Uh, it, that, that sometimes you get in games. It, it wasn't that, but it was a brilliant, consistent effort up until that they scored. Now, that was kind of the plan, wasn't it, really, to stay in the game? Because Leicester, as much as they're not going to have the overwhelming possession against Liverpool, most teams aren't, they need to stay in the game because we can hurt teams on the break and just generally in attack. It's something that Leicester have been famous for since 2016. But when you have Harvey Barnes, when you have Jamie Vardy, who coming back into the side, I know he ultimately didn't take his chances apart from the one that he walked in, but it still looked really, really sharp. And then James Madison, Yuri Tillemans playing the ball through to them. That's going to scare any defence. And you look back on the game and it's quite easy to go, yeah, we kind of hung on until they scored. And then they had that crazy seven minutes where it all went right for Leicester and went wrong for Liverpool and Leicester win. But you just look at the the chances in the game, the actual chances created, and not just half chances, I'm talking full-blown goal-scoring opportunities. The overwhelming number is for Leicester, by far. And through good goalkeeping up until his moments, and also, yeah, off finishing, but hitting the crossbar, etc., etc., 
Leicester had the better chances in the game, which, again, you look back at that defence, and when you look at it overall, you go, up until that they scored, Leicester had the better chances in the game that was dominated by Liverpool, so more credit has to go to that defensive unit. And I'll also put Yuri Tillemans in there as well, because he, just through the the nature of the game, was forced back, 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 and he did... The uh, uh, the dirty work, really, compared to his normal passing game. He, he had to really get stuck in and did so. So, again, just hats off all round to, to the defensive unit led by Kasper Michael. It was a brilliant team effort, actually, because you mentioned there the, the shifts in formation. Nobody really knew how we were going to line up, even when the team was announced and... Uh, Jurgen Klopp apparently was stood on the halfway line during the pre-match warm-ups watching Leicester rather than uh, Liverpool to try and see um, what kind of shape they'd be occupying because it could quite easily have been a Marty on the right side of a defensive three or Brighton and Ricardo was the wing-backs. And as you said, that it kind of morphed into that at times when Leicester had to get bodies behind the ball. It, was, it, it very much looked like that at times with all Brighton tucking deeper and deeper to try and stop the overload of Robertson on that um, on Leicester's right-hand side, Liverpool's left. But I think it is real, real credit to every single player in not only the team, but the squad as well, that they had the adaptability to switch formation several times. And we'll talk about how they switch formation once they went a goal behind in a few minutes, but we're concentrating defensively for now. And... Yes, Tielemans was much deeper than he would like to be um, without the ball. Uh, Wilfred Ndidi was absolutely back to peak Wilfred Ndidi. Um, I think he's got now, he, he bettered his own record this season of the most um, most possession one back, most time possession one back in a game up to 19. 19 recoveries of possession in one match is absolutely phenomenal. And he was a big part of how we managed to keep Liverpool mostly at bay. They had a few chances. Uh, they switched the ball extremely well um, and exposed us at times. But I think we we grew into the game. I think Liverpool started it pretty well. And yeah, Ricardo had to figure out a little bit what he was doing there. Amati hasn't played an awful lot of football as a, as a right back in a back four. So he was sort of feeling his way into the game as well. Um, but overall, the team did exceptionally well. I think the frustrating thing for me in the first half was that when we did recover possession, there was not very often a suitable pass on where we could play our way up the field, either progressively, sort of third by third, or a little bit more direct. And I think that that was that was the thing that was bothering me because that's when I thought the longer this goes on, yes, if we're still in the game, fantastic. But that's why when we went behind, that's why I, I said when you, when you asked me the, the first question of the show, did I think Leicester would get back into it? No, because it didn't look like many times we were able to string together the passes needed to to force an attack on Liverpool. Having said that, the times that we did get out, we created some excellent chances, as you say, and, and could quite conceivably have been ahead in the game um but that was that was probably the one worry for me but then all changed with Leicester's reaction which I think was yes Liverpool made some mistakes but and again credit once more to the players the team the the spirit the collectiveness of of that football club 
that it wasn't a, oh, we're 1-0 down against the defending champions. Their hearts didn't sink the way that ours did. And I think that's real, real testament to the players that they grabbed that game, grabbed hold of it, changed the shape to a diamond in midfield to be more um, risk-taking, if you like. And goodness me, did it pay off. Yeah, that's the difference for me between this season and last season. I mentioned about the Manchester United draw at home. That wouldn't have happened last season. Maybe even the draw away at Wolves wouldn't have happened. Maybe the response to the defeat against Leeds by going uh, and beating Fulham, that might not have happened last season. And that's the difference, the mindsets. Also the quality as well, knowing that you have James Madison, you have Harvey Barnes especially, and also then Jamie Vardy back in the side. And the equaliser came from a, I mean, it came from a free kick in VAR. Well, who knows? There was a foot there, apparently. There was a knee there. There was Armati's arm. Did it touch Armati? Was it a penalty? Was it a free kick? Who knows? Um, good free kick in the end because you could easily, oh, he's just scuffed that low. No, that was a, a, a meant effort, in theory, on goal. It was uh, planned that way. One of those cross-come shots, aim for the far post. If no one gets it, goes in the far stick. Great. It's um, And it worked. It doesn't look necessarily fantastic, but it got Leicester back in the game. And then it just... Well, if you're Liverpool, it, it disintegrated. What, the goal? The goalkeeper's just completely lost it, hasn't he? It, he made a fantastic save after that from Vardy. He's, he's, and he, in the first half, he made a, a, a good stop, um, got something on a one-on-one as well. But he's completely lost it when it comes to his positional awareness scared stiff of Vardy and Barnes equally I'd say Harvey Barnes because that crossfield ball by Tillemans the diagonal played for which he he came out and and clattered into his new centre half that was meant for Harvey Barnes so it's not just oh it's Jamie Vardy I think um, uncovering on soccer Saturday uh, I think Ali McCoy was through to Vardy it was actually for Barnes and, and what the goalkeeper was doing apparently I think I've heard Klopp say he didn't hear him say anything or shout so you can't really blame the new centre half and then he of course drops to Vardy walks into the back of the net bit of guitar in job done and then Harvey Barnes gets put through nice little play actually by Tillemans and, and Wilfred and Deedy easy ball then through to Harvey Barnes and Liverpool are just pulled apart all over the place and a nice Cool finish, 3-1, happy days. And everyone must have been jumping up and down in the living rooms across Leicestershire and around the world, wherever you're watching the game. And it was a glorious seven minutes, a very odd start to the seven minutes with the VAR. And again, not really going to go into it because just put your hands in the air and go, well, you just have to deal with a scenario. It wasn't an obvious mistake for the actual awarding of the free kick. So that's really my kind of concern when it comes to VAR. It's the initial awarding of things. Just if you go back to last season, the the Villa game in the semi-final, the handball that wasn't checked, they checked the wrong handball, and other things like that. That's the problem. It's uh, when they start drawing the lines, well, there you go. You're drawing lines across the field. You just hope that the coin will land on the side that you called. Essentially, that's all you can do. Crazy that is, but there you go. That's the way the game is. And... Who knows? I'd love to to know and to kind of feel what it's like to be kind of a manager or, or a coach on the bench, watching that happen, seeing your side score and having no real 
idea of what's going on because on TV we can see the instant replays, etc. So we get a rough kind of idea. But they must be sat there just looking at the scoreboard going like, right, what's going to happen here? You know, kind of your job might hang on the decision, but there you go. The goal goes in and, and Roche has kind of turned to his bench and had a bit of a laugh because it looked like, I think they thought it wasn't going to count. And then it all just kind of unfolded. A, a, a brilliant watch for Leicester fans. Terrible for Liverpool fans, but who cares? It was absolutely captivating, wasn't it? The 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 emotional roller coaster that supporters went through for Leicester's equaliser. Let alone, as you say, managers. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers' job isn't on the line for Leicester, but we we said on the previous edition of the podcast previewing that that game against Liverpool that yes, it wasn't the be all and end all of Leicester's season, but it was certainly a very important um, game and. It was important for Leicester to get back into it and show a reaction, and that's that's how it looks. You know, we were an inch away from getting a penalty when Barnes went down. Um, I'm not even sure anybody's totally convinced what the referee was pointing for when he first blew the whistle because it was kind of a half pointing in the direction of um, the goal, saying it's a free kick, and half on the diagonal pointing towards the penalty spot. Don't know what the initial decision was. VAR, I think, got that one right. And then Jurgen Klopp's issue with the with the offside against Daniel Amati is is the point at which they choose to draw the lines and and I I've got a little bit of sympathy with him I'm not I'm not saying um for a second that that, that I wish the decision was the other way around because you know you, you like you say it's a flip of a coin sometimes and sometimes you're on the right end of them sometimes you're not unfortunately for us the the lines I, I, were... by the way Rob I absolutely completely agree with you and Klopp. Because yeah, I do. That's what I'm saying. Because yeah. you can't the the this, the amount of frames that they can get on the broadcast now. Because that's essentially what they're looking at. They haven't got any special VAR cameras. They're looking at broadcast cameras. The amount of frames that you can slow down a, a clip to now. It, 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 you're talking hundreds or thousands of frames. And at which point do you actually draw the lines? Is it as soon as? It looks like Madison's boot has touched the ball. Is it the second that there's daylight between Madison's boot and the ball? And if so, have you got the camera angles and qualities and, and frames per second to identify that? Um, you know, you're talking, we're talking fine margins anyway with offside and the lines that are being drawn at whatever time that they choose. But particularly when you're talking about the point that the ball, is it the point that the ball leaves the boot? Well, yes, it used to be, but that was you know you you couldn't slow things down to certain number of frames per second with the with the human eye so that all that all happens at the same time whereas with a broadcast camera you can slow things down so much you've got no i don't think you've got a full picture of or or a full idea of exactly what point you should draw the lines because they simply haven't got the time you we're looking for a, a response from VAR a decision within what 60 to 90 seconds or hopefully to stop the game slowing down too much i know some of them have taken as much as 3 4 minutes this season but you know the the fans everybody wants it to be fairly swift they haven't got the time to be inching along frame by frame until they're absolutely certain there's daylight between Madison's foot and the ball and let's be honest, if they had done that or they'd chosen a few frames later, Amati's offside because he goes a fraction too early 
And yes, it is. I think it's Firmino's boot, isn't it? Which you can't quite see in the melee, which I think people first thought was the confusing thing. But that's not Klopp's issue. It's not that he thinks that the lines that are drawn at the time are wrong. It's the time. It's the timing that they've chosen to draw the lines. And I, I, I do agree with Klopp. But how fine a point can we go into on VAR? Because things already take too long. Mistakes have already been made. That that'd take five six minutes to get absolutely 100% spot on I always look at things what would happen if it was the other way around straight away and what would happen if it was the other way around would be blue murder wouldn't it it would be his arms in the way there was a knee there and all sorts of stuff so you, you go with the result and you just kind of go right we've almost gotten away with one there I, I, if I was a Liverpool fan I'd be really kind of jumping up and down about it. But there you go. It's, it, it, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not a scenario that I like. It's just the way that the football is at the moment. And I think it will change overall and hopefully get better. But we'll move on to the second goal. And what the goalkeeper was doing, no idea. I mean, I feel sorry for their centre-half. They're, they're defensive problems. And I, I was on, I mentioned in the previous podcast, I was on a few Liverpool podcasts before the game took place. And I kept on saying to them, like, they were talking about, oh, yeah, their team, what do you reckon, this, that, and the other. And I just said to him, I said, you're not crazy over there. I said, you've got a massive problem at centre-half, you know, a huge problem. And then you get into the transfer window and you don't sign anyone. What are you doing? It doesn't have to be anyone fantastic at Premier League level. Just get a couple of competent centre-halves. And then if you want to go and spend a load of money, do that. If you want to go and play or sign some some younger player, then then do that. There's a million options, but to do nothing and then end up with a, a, a signing who looks like he's going to take time to, to kind of adjust, uh, sign a guy from Preston, and as far as I'm aware, he's not been seen, just crazy. And so basically, I, I've got no sympathy for him whatsoever when it comes to their defence because they've had a huge chance to rectify the issues they haven't their fault um and then this goal comes from that and i've said time and time again and we'll move on to the the villa game later but um and it applies to them but the the goalkeeping situations at clubs are is crazy and we've got essentially in my eyes arguably the best goalkeeper in the premier league at the moment he's having i think probably his best season at leicester um he's and I know this is, you know, touch wood and all sorts. Um, he's safe, secure, uh, got the best reactions, one of the best shot stoppers around, um, a brilliant, calm and influence on the defence. Everyone, he's a captain. You wouldn't swap him for anyone for me in the league. And when the goalkeeper goes, likes happening at Spurs, likes happened to Liverpool in the last few games, like we've seen at other clubs with other goalkeepers, Chelsea, for example, it's like a, it's like a, it's terrible to use it, but it's like a virus, and it goes through to the defence, and competent defenders all of a sudden completely lose the ability to uh, to, to form as individuals, but also as a, overall as a collective, and that's what's happening at Liverpool. But it's not their defence; it's their midfielders who are playing defence. So it's crazy. And then you look at say Villa, who bought a goalkeeper who proved at Arsenal last season that he's more than good enough to play in the Premier League, calmed down their defence, had a great record, show that he's actually a very good shot stopper, an all-round keeper himself, quite tall as well, which I do like in a keeper. And he's been 
the be- he's been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League this year, the Villa keeper. Um, but anyway, it weren't half funny though, were it? It was. I, f- I feel for Kabak, the new centre back for Liverpool, because there's been a lot of um, media attention around his signing and the signing of Davies from Preston as well. Um, were they targets initially, or are they stop gaps? You know, and and just the set, the fact that Liverpool's defence has been the most watched area of any football field for most of the season because of the way that the their injury crisis has been reported. Um, and to come into a game against a Leicester side who you knew were going to cause you problems anyway, but to have to come into it with a goalkeeper that was not or is not currently uh, anywhere near the level that that he can be and has shown himself to be over the last few years in the Premier League must have been really, really difficult. And it it looked like he'd got the wrong side. He'd let Vardy get the wrong side of him a couple of times, Kabak. Um, but, you know, Jamie Vardy's beaten most Premier League defenders with the timings of his run and the and the and his pace before, so you wouldn't really highlight him as a particularly weak area, Kabak. And then, yeah, it, it it looks like a misunderstanding between him and Allison, but from all the reports, suggest that Allison made no communication whatsoever that he was coming 25, 30 yards out of his goal to come and attempt to clear that ball. Um, so Kabak's doing what what he knows to do, and and trying to get rid of the danger only for his own keeper to come out and and basically bugger everything up so and, and Vardy to roll the tap in but the point about goalkeepers in general is a, is a really really important one because it, it's it's something that I completely agree with and something that I've thought about before we are we should be extremely grateful to have a goalkeeper like Kasper Schmeichel uh, playing for our football club for so long so many appearances and there's it's been extremely rare that you've ever questioned his position as number one and this the solidity and security that gives you can't be um blown out of proportion it, it, it's absolutely massive to to the structure to the confidence to the security of the rest of the team and he has been in extremely good form this season as well and yeah, you look at you. You could name any other club at the minute, and there's question marks over their goalkeeper. Or most of them, the ones that you've just listed there, that these big clubs that are paying record fees for goalkeepers, and the, these goalkeepers are, are struggling to stop a ball that's coming straight at them. You know, like Larice, etc. De Gea's no, not the the goalkeeper that he that he once was. Um, Kepper played for Chelsea last night, actually, despite being out in the cold for a long period of time. And they spent a lot of money on his replacement. So we should be extremely grateful that we've got a goalkeeper who's, who's got a few more years left in him at, at the top of his game. And and I'm sure it's an area that Leicester are already looking at. I know Brendan Rodgers has said before that Danny Ward is, is like having another number one goalkeeper at the club. Do I genuinely believe that Danny Ward's a top four goalkeeper? No, he's, he's not really had that many opportunities to prove himself having been number two at Liverpool before he came to us but do I think he is? No Um, so I'm sure Leicester will have half an eye on this as a sort of medium to longer term plan in terms of recruiting a goalkeeper who can well (laughs) if you could ever fill the boots of Kasper Schmeichel because he has been one of the best servants to this club in its entire history 
and and I think we're absolutely right to dedicate five or ten minutes on this podcast as we are doing right now to just show our gratitude for that because it's an area of the pitch that we never even have to think about, worry about. He's just there and most of the time he's in the way and his leadership, his, every quality that he brings to this team cannot be underestimated. Do you think that he is slightly overweight and wearing a corset. Where's this going? It was from the Slavia Prague TV, I think it was, and uh, the guy says that Schmeichel was maybe slightly overweight and also wears a corset during games. (laughs) Apparently. I've seen that on Twitter about 10 minutes before we came on air. Are you joking? What has that got to do with anything? Unless it's unless it's a complete lie and it's a I saw a screenshot and it had subtitles and it, but I'm just just relaying that um, as something I saw ten minutes before we recorded. But uh, no, that's uh, that's that's what uh, that's what was said and what also was said, uh, not by Slavia Prague TV, but by listeners to for Fox sake on the uh, uh, three word reviews, which I've not read out for a few weeks. And I don't think there's any better week, really, to do this. Uh, so we've got uh, Writing Wrongs with Rock and Roll. Um, we've got Christopher with Unbelievable. Nice. I like that. Um, uh, Gareth Bell, because I think I actually wrote, actually, if you if you want more than three words this week, use more than three words because uh, of that crazy seven minutes. And uh, this is longer than three words, but oh my word, indeed, he was an absolute rock today. Absolutely right. Uh, one battle serves and rights. Uh, what a turnaround from Dave. Um, uh, ooh, scroll through. Always rated VAR uh, from Martin. Fair play, Leicester. Uh, one or two um, Liverpool fans getting involved because obviously the podcast uh, Twitter handle would have been linked to various things that I went on during the week. Um, we've got... Uh, just go bring that back up one more time. Uh, Klopp's sacked Monday. Uh, there were one or two rumours flying around about that, but uh, it didn't work out, actually. That's, uh, that's been the case. Um, yours truly, Liverpool. Uh, Henry Jackson, there you go, another uh, Liverpool link there. Uh, Glenn says, uh, what, yes? Uh, we've got six points of victory, uh, which we'll, we'll mention in a sec. Lovely stuff, Alison. Wow, 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 from Indie Foxes. Uh, cheating diving Salah. Yes, he did, didn't he? This is from Ollie. And also, Saudi Mane, which was... Probably not as bad because it wasn't, you know, trying to get a penalty. But it was, I, I, I left the room and then came back in the room for, and, and this happened straight away. So that's why it really caught my eye. He went down under a challenge from, I think it was in Didi. And it was the, the it was, it was the bingo, basically, the whole full house. It, it was um, jump in the air, hold the knee and scream. And they got a free kick. And at the time, Ndidi's face, when he looked around at the ref and put his arms out, and go, hey? he's like, I, and you could see, he's like, I've not touched him at all. And they showed the replay. And there's pure daylight. Now, don't get me wrong, Madison goes down and Vardy's won penalties and all sorts of stuff. So it's not like, well, we never do this. But wow, there were some proper stunners out there in <laughs> red shirts, weren't there, when it comes to the old diving. It was, uh, it was really bad. Uh, and another one, uh, Packer Ken, he says, uh, Big Six Club, to round off the uh, three-word reviews. And with that six-pointer kind of mentality, it's slowly creeping now. I'm not there yet. L- less than ten games to go. 
that's when I'm going to start really counting the points between ourselves and fifth place because it's all about the Champions League and it's all about fans going to Champions League games next year, really, isn't it? I don't think the title's really a thing unless we go on a great run and Man City do slip up. I can't see that being the case on both fronts. But I'm just keeping kind of my head down about the top four and about point gaps and all that sort of thing. It's great to have and it's great to look at, but I'm in my own head looking at, say, the the last 10 games. Yeah, I was thinking of that myself about the league table, to be honest with you. Looking at it, um, even probably two games ago, everything was very, very condensed and you could have sort of dropped a hat on like the top 10, really. Um, but we've seen Manchester City opening up that sizable gap at the top of the table. If they take the extra three points from the game in hand, then that's uh, that's 10 points ahead of us and Manchester United that they are. But then you sort of... You were talk- We were talking about putting six points between Leicester and Liverpool if Leicester won. Uh, and that's exactly what they've done. But at the time, we thought that might be between us in third and Liverpool in fourth. But actually, Chelsea, the new manager syndrome, they're picking up um, results, four wins in a row. West Ham, uh, very surprisingly, in fifth at the minute. Um, and... And it's changing all the time, but but one thing that we're managing to do more often than not is pick up results and pick up points to make sure that we are just on the top of that condensed pile. So that it's it's slightly more spaced out now. There's ten points between say fourth uh, Chelsea and eleventh uh, Leeds. There's ten points there now, so it's not quite so condensed, but. Southampton have shown, you know, four or five weeks ago, Southampton were, what, top four or top six? Now they've trundled down to 13th. Yes, their their drop-in form has been absolutely disastrous, but I I agree with you. We're not not getting carried away here, but at the moment, at this stage, third in the Premier League, level on points with second place, ahead with a reasonably comfortable cushion of the chasers, and... Showing no sign of, uh, I, I don't really want to hark back to last season, but the hangover or the sort of stuttering or the tail off towards the end of the season. Showing no sign of that, picking up results, picking up points, and long may it continue. I think we're allowed to feel optimistic and excited, but not too carried away just yet. Yes, Chelsea really have kind of turned the tide up very very solid, as you said. Liverpool, they could always bounce back. You, you know, you'd still expect them to be there and thereabouts. And Manchester United as well. So it's going to be a, a real scrap. And you look at the, the last three games for Leicester. Will it come down to those three games? I'd imagine so. So it's it's going to be very close. So at the moment, as long as we keep on picking up points, that's the main thing. And wins over top four rivals is uh, it's always going to be a good thing. If we actually just carry on with the Premier League look now, because we could play Aston Villa on Sunday, and Villa are in eighth place currently. They are 10 points away from Leicester. They've got a couple of games in hand. Been really impressed with Villa this year. They won at the King Power Stadium. Very dangerous side. Really dangerous side. Mentioned their goalkeeper, a brilliant signing, and has really shored up the defence as well. And... Going forward, when you've got Grealish and Barkley and also Traore, big fan of Traore, and Ollie Watkins, a live-wire striker who really is the kind of player Leicester 
would like to sign and, and maybe should have signed, but it was a lot of money, wasn't it? The sign for what, 26 million, 27 million pounds? Maybe they've kind of missed the boat on, on, on Watkins and hopefully try and sign a, a player similar to him. He has all the attributes as a, a as a player Leicester really could do with. So they're a good side, Villa. Score plenty of goals. And they've got a really good defence and goalkeeper. So it's going to be tough, very tough. They were poor against Brighton. But this is going to be a game Leicester can win and a game they could easily lose. Guess what? Leicester can win and lose a game. What a preview. I I think this game is... I'm going to say it's tougher than Liverpool at home. But I think you look at Villa, at Villa Park, and... If they're on form, this is one of the hardest games I think Leicester have got until they play in those final three games. The game against Man City is just a one-off. Every Everyone who plays Man City at the moment is going to be a one-off game. But I think this is a real, real stern test of what Leicester can do. And if Leicester can win this game, I would put it down as, as good a result than the win against Liverpool. Sounds crazy, but I think so. I think winning at Villa Park would be a massive result for the club. It would, because, as you say, Villa have been pretty handy in the Premier League this season. They're, as you said, eighth place. A couple of games in hand, and let's say they even just win and draw one of those. That takes them up to 40 points, um, which would put them level with Liverpool which, you know, and Liverpool are the team that we've just beaten. So to be comparing the fixtures as isn't actually as, as mad as it sounds. Beating the defending champions might be not quite as difficult as beating Aston Villa. Um, it's a perfectly reasonable statement to make, and, and they are very dangerous. They're, the, the way that they're different, I think, Villa to Liverpool, is the fact that they're probably... Um, a bit more fearless at the moment because they're riding on uh, a serious amount of momentum that not many people predicted that they would have this season. You know, they were, I wouldn't say written off at the start, but they were certainly in the relegation conversation and, and quite rightly so considering the way that they just scraped through last season and I didn't really rate them last season. But they've got a lot of quality in a lot of positions and and. They've improved defensively, which which is how they got themselves out of trouble back end of last season anyway. And they've they've got good players all over the pitch. And you can't underestimate a side that is confident in its own abilities. I think that's the difference there because Liverpool have got, you look at it man for man, much better players than, than Aston Villa. But at the moment, who would consider themselves to be having a great season? Aston Villa, who would consider themselves to be under serious pressure uh, because of their failing or failed, in Klopp's words, title defence, uh, Liverpool. And Villa's form has been a bit, little bit patchy this year, really, to say the least. But I was having a look back and, yeah, they weren't great against Brighton, but Brighton have found a way recently to stifle teams and make every team look bad and boring. Um they beat Arsenal. They lost to West Ham, which is no shame in that because West Ham are a winning machine at the minute. Um, beat Southampton. Lost to Burnley. I think that was pretty much the start of Burnley's resurgence. Uh, and they beat Newcastle. And then they, they lost to Manchester City, which, again, is one of those games that you can write off. And then before that, they had um, a couple of postponements. So they're not quite as good this year as they were 
in the back end of 2020, when the, obviously in a period in which they managed to beat us as well. But I, th- I think there's, there's still a very stern test. And it's another team that's in that kind of group that you need to make sure that you beat or at least don't let them take any points off of you in terms of beating you to just to make sure that there still remains a gap or that we still remain an inch or two in front of the chasing pack. It is. I just think that Villa, they have... Uh, I think they eventually will not really be challengers for the top four. I think they will turn into that kind of sixth, seventh place team. But they're just dangerous. They they create chances. And on their day, as we've seen against Liverpool early on this season and a few times, I think when they click, and you have to expect every side that you play against, you look at how, how they can play against you and you, you look at how well they can play. And in a kind of a, a league table, let's let's say a league table of teams when they're playing at their peak, are they better than other sides? So a peak... Brighton are they better than a peak Newcastle for example that that sort of thing it's, it's a little bit kind of uh, up in the air but I, I'd say if Leeds are playing absolutely to their peak they are a match for anyone and be very dangerous do you know what I mean because they'll create a lot of chances score a lot of goals and obviously concede I think Villa are a tighter version of Leeds they are very fluid going forward um, they don't concede like Leeds do at the back. But I think an on-form Villa side can beat anyone in that league. I think with the individuals that they have, but also not just the individual talents and what they can do on the ball, but when they knit together going forward. Barkley is a, a very frustrating player from an England point of view. But when you look at him, he can win. And we know this as Leicester fans. Christ, he scored the winners against us for multiple clubs really hasn't he for Everton for Chelsea and for uh, for Villa he's, he really is our kind of nemesis but when they knit together those forward just three and then you throw in the likes of Triore in behind and McGinn and all sorts they are a very good side and again on their day I, I, I just I, I worry for this game do you know what I mean I, if you're looking at what I think is going to happen I think Leicester will be at full strength depending on injuries from the Europa League side. I think they'll be at full strength regardless of the team that's put out against Slavia Prague and we'll come on to that game in a minute. I I think there's going to be goals. I just see it being an open game and ultimately I'm going to plump for Leicester but in a very up and down game and I could see it being say 3-2. I know I mentioned Villa being a having a very stern defence and not conceding many goals. And I think they have uh, one of the best clean sheet records in the league. And the goalkeeper's very good. The defence, aided by the goalkeeper, has tightened up. And they've signed um, some interesting players, in fact, over the, the postseason. But it looks like they've all really clicked. And uh, at the time, you kind of question one or two and whether they could make the step up. But it's worked. And it, it turns out their, uh, their philosophy in the transfer markets, which has been very questionable over the last few years, it's worked this time. I, I'm i going to go for a 3-2 City win. And again, I'd expect Leicester to be at full pace and be at full pelt and be at full strength. And uh, I'm going to go for a, a 3-2 win in a bit of a thriller at the Villa. Five-goal Villa thriller. Um, 
yeah, you're right. What you say about their defense? I'm, uh, again, I'm just looking at the the stats, and they've got the second best defense in the league behind uh, joint level with Chelsea behind Manchester City. Twenty four goals conceded, which is impressive. Um, but we're quite good at scoring goals as well. So I'm gonna go not quite as drastic as you, but I I think goals for both sides still, and always, well, nearly always, tip Leicester to win two one. 2-1 to City and uh, and this will be following on from a game in Europe and we'll come on to that in, in one second Rob because uh, there was a, a tweet sent out today by the football club I don't know whether you saw this um, it's uh, it, it's nice and easy it basically means which uh, it says which player made you because obviously with uh, Valentine's weekend and all that sort of thing which player made you fall in love with Leicester City and I've just actually replied I'm not entirely sure whether I've picked the right player. Imagine that. So I ask you, Rob, which player made you fall in love with Leicester? Or which was your first kind of favourite player? And yours will be different from mine because you are a lot younger than me. Oh, I wouldn't say a lot. A couple of years. Well, you are, but but I, I would... A, a few, a few. Yeah, I, but I would say... Because I started watching Leicester, I would say later than you, or following Leicester later than you in years, it might actually just tighten that kind of age gap. Yeah, mine would be, um, you know, we 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 were lucky enough um, to to I was lucky enough to grow up with Martin O'Neill as as the first Leicester manager that I can properly remember so you're talking an era uh, certainly in the modern era of football one of one of Leicester's best uh, and most successful in terms of trophies in terms of top half finishes in the Premier League um, if I had to pick one uh, I'd I'd probably pick Steve Walsh because I was I was I was sort of being realized that that other kids were catching me up in terms of speed and height and I was no longer that good at football and I ended up getting pushed further and further back until it was decided that I would be a defender forevermore so I think I was looking to somebody like Steve Walsh who incredible leadership qualities some ridiculously good performances some amazing moments in a Leicester shirt um so if I had to pick one from that team at that time, it'd have to be Steve Walsh. But for for the flair that he brought to the team and the excitement, I'd, I, I might have gone Muzzy, is it? Or somebody like that. Um, but yeah, Steve Walsh for me. Who did, who did you put on the on the comment and why do you think you might have gone wrong? I'm interested to hear yours. Well, I don't, I don't know whether you remember. Do you remember your first game? Uh, I don't. No, I, I, I remember the first game that I remember, which was... Um, for my dad's 40th uh, and Graham Lasso kept getting wolf whistled as against Chelsea and uh, Zola scored a free kick but I, I don't remember my exact first that wasn't the Frank Sinclair own goal game was it you could narrow pretty much any game Frank Sinclair ever played in as a Frank Sinclair own goal game <laughs> oh, I mean the, the sole reason of my fancy football team name it was the Chelsea game at home where it, we were drawing or were we winning I think we were drawing or winning in injury time and he was on the near post. The corner came in and he just headed it in the near post. 
And it was like, oh, Frank, what are you doing? You don't play for him anymore. You know, it could have, it, that could have been that game. I was standing behind the goal at the time. Um, well, for me, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit older than you, so I go back to the early 90s. And I don't recall my first ever game. I, The first game I really remember um, was probably a year or so after my first game because I remember um, the 4-4 draw, which you're not going to forget. Uh, I always thought it was on Boxing Day, but it was the day after Boxing Day at home to Watford. And this was in 1993. Um, and I think we were always behind in that game and ended up drawing. And I seem to remember all the goals being at the other end of the field, whether that's wrong. But um, that was in 93, so I would have been 10. Um, but I, we were at the game where it was against Wolves, it turns out. And this was a full year before when it was Russell Holt was in the stand. And he got called on to, uh, to be in goal for Leicester on his debut because um, the goalkeeper at the time, I think, oh my God, who was the goalkeeper? It must have been Carl Muggleton, I think, got injured. And then he went on, he was called the Hot Dog Kid. And um, we played Wolves, I think it ended up being a draw. 1-1 one, one or 2, I don't know what its score was at all. And uh, we were in the stand not far away from him. So that was a full year before. And I, because you're a kid, and I was a big football fan, but not necessarily like, it's different now, if you're six, seven, eight. Um, with modern technology, games on the TV, and Leicester being the side that they are, it, it's a lot different to what it was back then. Back then, everyone was like a Liverpool fan, this, that, and the other. And um, I think eventually, when I was eight, nine, ten, whatever, went to, you know, see Leicester with the old man and all that sort of thing. And then it was Leicester. And I, when you're that age, whoever the crowd shouts for is generally going to be your favourite player. And when you have the crowd shouting Rooster, <laughs> it's quite hard not for uh, Kevin Russell not to be your favourite player, even if he probably wasn't. So I, I think it was Rooster. But the real proper answer was David Speedy. Because by then, Speedy, I remember 93 was my first real year. I remember that game against uh, Watford, the 4-4. And then you go to the playoff final, that's or the playoff semi-final, against Tranmere when he gets sent off. And then he doesn't play in the playoff final. But then you go to the playoff final, you beat Derby with Steve Walsh, etc. But Speedy probably is the right answer. But I went with Kevin Russell. Because if you're... Any age between, what, 6 and 12, and the crowd are shouting, Rooster, your centre-forward, of course he's going to be the player, isn't he? He's going to be that player, that kind of, yeah, you know, you're going to go and support and cheer on and all that sort of thing. So I went Kevin Russell, which is way before your time. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but I, I, I never saw him play, or if I did, I definitely don't recall that. Um, yeah, I was for, for reference, for those of you that are trying to place this in a period of time, uh, I was born in 1990 and Pete was born... A few years before that, so you know we've we've been watching Leicester for best part of a, a quarter of a century, knowingly, but uh, which which is quite a considerable period of time when you think about it. The, the the times we're talking about there seem like absolutely ages ago. Oh yeah, when you're talking about the Cole Muggletons and it, it, yeah, I, I would looking back now, you, you rooster, you know, you're going to go and shout his name, but then it's Speeder because it kind of the chant was the same actually, you know between those two and then we got obviously promoted but when you go to the playoff final at Wembley the first time I would have been at Wembley 
and Walsh scores that goal, obviously Steve Walsh then becomes the hero. So the first hero was Walsh, but I would say Rooster when you're a kid. So yeah, interesting. I mean, it's you know maybe a look too in depth at that answer, but um, but there you go. That's 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 what it is. But they would be players now who fans and kids who were going to their first game, maybe even during this lockdown period, the fact that every game's on TV, they're watching and they're watching Vardy or it's going to be James Madison, isn't it really? He's going to be kind of their favourite or maybe Harvey Barnes, really. They're going to be the, the stars, maybe even a Schmeichel. And especially when you look at Schmeichel, if he lifts the Europa League, because Wes Morgan's not in the squad and I'd imagine if we end up winning, it will be Schmeichel lifting the trophy probably on his own, maybe even a in a double kind of lift with Wes Morgan, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because we've, we're not there yet. And Slavia Prague, Rob, are going to be a difficult opposition because now the Czech League is not a good league. Let's just put it out there. It's not ultra competitive at all. But Slavia Prague pretty much are... They, they can't do any more than what they're doing, put it that way. They are top, and they are top by some distance as well. They went eight games winning um, on the bounce, and I thought their run coming to an end might have just one eye on Leicester, but then they, they drew 3-3. And then their last game, they won 3-0, an easy win against... Uh, FK Podobici, which I've actually been there before. So, and there, no, they can't be any decent. The place is a a, a very small town with a, a big race course. Essentially, that's what uh, Podobici is. They score a lot of goals. They've played nineteen, won sixteen, drawn three, and lost none. That's their that's their league record. Won sixteen, drawn three. That's it. Scored fifty seven, conceded eleven. So basically, they're just making mincemeat of every team. In that league, uh, the other team, Sparta Prague, is in second. So it's just Prague dominated, as you'd imagine. Their home record's amazing. Um, they finished second in their group to Bayern Leverkusen. So no real shame in finishing second. They were well clear of Beersheba and, and Nice, who were third and fourth. And they are the reigning Czech champions. They they basically have four. And you look back over the last, say, 10 or 15 years, for the side that they could have put out, for the, the club that they, they, if you go back the 10 or 15 years, are they kind of riding a crest of a wave? Are they a good Slavia Prague? Yes. And I think this is going to be a lot trickier than a lot of people maybe expect up until the game day itself, up until the two teams walk out, when you're going to be slightly nervous because of the knockout stage nature of the tournament and the fact that it's still a unique thing, Leicester being in Europe. I think some people might be looking at this and going, you know, we can beat these third in the Premier League against top of the Czech first division. We're expected to win. But this is a difficult game. Of course it is. We're going we're going to Prague where they will want to show themselves as the league leaders that they are a team that's not used to losing football matches yes they lost a couple in their in their group uh group c but as you said finished comfortably second but they they would have absolutely no reason not to be confident and you know if you factor in the fact that that, that leicester city are coming in as 
very recent Premier League champions, which is a worldwide story, um, as joint second or third, whatever you want to call it in the Premier League, level with second place, whatever, um, in, in a competitive Premier League, you know, the, the, the global football league, if you like, then it's a massive potential scalp for them. And they'd have no reason in their minds to to lack confident the confidence to to have a go at winning their home leg. I think that will be their objective will be to put Leicester under pressure straight away. I've got no idea what their playing style is. I haven't researched them in that much detail. Those of you that have listened to this podcast for long enough know that we barely look anything up before we just switch the microphones on and have a bit of a a bit of a warble at each other. But I'm 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 going to assume that, that that they will want to use their confidence, use their sort of winning mentality really, to have a proper go at a team that I would imagine they'll consider to be a, a potential sort of giant killing. It'd be a big story if if a Czech team beat Leicester City. Of course it would, because people talk about Leicester City more now than they ever have done based on the the exploits of the the squad of 2016 so it's it i think if we get out of prague with a score draw i'd be very happy because it's not going to be easy on paper their league is nothing compared to the premier league of course um and we you match up the the player for player um the chances are even if I did have the Slavia Prague squad sheet in front of me, which I don't, um, I wouldn't recognise any any if, if very few of their players, and and we've got a, basically a team full of internationals now. But there is a lot more to this game than just that direct comparison, and I think they're going to be really really up for it. I think so. Uh, the temperature there was going to be a bit of a worry, but looking on. Essentially, the BBC <laughs> app on my phone, I've just typed in Prague and it says it's going to be on Thursday nights uh, zero. Nine in the day and zero. So pretty much similar here. So not as bad as it could be. So that's not bad. Um, yeah, looking at they've got players who score goals, but then again, you're going to, if, if you're basically walking the league, you're going to have dangerous players. There was an interesting story regarding um, Abdallah at Sima. He's also got Diepo down as his name as well. But uh, Sima, he looks to be a, a young, he's 19, uh, midfielder, scored a lot of goals. And, uh, well, I heard this. This was on, uh, you might have heard it the same. It was on BBC Radio Leicester. And they um, interviewed someone associated with a football club, a journalist, etc. And he told the story about this guy. Was he training on the lawn of the manager or in a park um, and then was spotted and has just basically been a revelation and this could be a stepping stone. Who knows? It, it might be signed by Leicester if he plays well. That You know, this could be the, the first step on the ladder of being a, a very good player throughout Europe. So who knows? It's, it's going to be difficult and it's just that you look at this side and you think, well, if, if they were like third or second or even top of their domestic league, but it's quite competitive towards the top, then, you know, you go there and you're expecting to win. I, I just worry, maybe that's just it's just me, but I just look at this and go, they could actually be quite a useful side. And it's the goals in there. In, if they were winning games 1-0, 2-1, 
It's the amount of goals that they've scored. And uh, and I think Leicester will need to be fully tuned up for this. And I think they will. The team is going to be very interesting. Now this, and you know out there listening to this, the predictions that I give out for the team I think Leicester are going to play so far have been a million miles away from what's happened. I mean, what was I say? Nine changes and there were two or whatever in, in cup games. Now, because there's five substitutions and you'd expect Leicester to make all five regardless of how the game goes and pans out, I I would expect Leicester to go pretty hard from the start. So I'd expect, hopefully, and I don't, and I've not heard anything or read anything or seen anything on social media regarding, say, Vardy or, or Wilfred Ndidi, who came back for the Liverpool game, who played in the week against Brighton in the Cup. I don't think there's any reason to believe that to, or to put down that they wouldn't start. With those five subs in mind, why would you play Kelechi Inacho and probably Hamza Chowdhury or even a Mendy in those positions and put the likes of Vardy and Wilfred and Didi through the, the full rigmarole of being fully prepared, wound up with a view to then coming onto the pitch. Now, the only way you would look at that is if Leicester go 3-0 up and you don't need them and they can just sit down and not play. Great. That's the best world scenario, the best scenario that can happen. But I would be more likely inclined to start them in the game with a view to then bringing them off regardless of the scenario of the game. Leicester are 1-0 down, 60 minutes gone, off you come Vardy because we're going to bring fresh legs on, Kelechi and Acho, uh, off you come Wilf, you're going to bring Hamza Chowdhury on, we're going to bring Mendy on and other players as well. That's the way I would play it. What would you do, Rob? Would you go changes first? with a view to seeing how the game goes to whether you bring them on, or would you go hard from the start knowing you've got five subs in your back pocket? It is an interesting one because the five subs, I think, do do make a difference and they would probably make me swing more in the the favour of, of, of your opinion there in the sense that because Slavia Prague are likely to come flying at us, then you want what would be considered to be your strongest 11 on the pitch or the majority of them on the pitch to to weather the early storm if you like get control of the game and and you know even if let's say even if you get to 60 minutes or so or, or whatever you were planning to make a few of the substitutions to to f- keep the players that you you key players like Vardy and Ndidi fresh for the weekend even if you get to that point and it's still quite tight at nil nil or you're even one nil down. That's almost more um, of a of an onus on those players coming on to say, look, you go on and change the game for us. Then you say to Ianacho, look, you've scored some goals in this competition. You've bagged a couple recently, um, a couple of goals recently in the cup and the league. You go on and you make the difference and and shove that rocket up his backside. And and not that he needs one at the minute because he seems to be finding a bit of goal-scoring form, definitely with his head. Let's just lump it up to Iheanacho's head and see what happens. But yeah, I, I think you've got to go strong-ish. Whether it, I don't think it will be the full 11 that started the game against 
Liverpool. I think there'll be maybe one or two that start against Slavia Prague that didn't start against Liverpool. I'm thinking possibly Luke Thomas just to preserve the the, the fullback positions, if you like, in, in the sense that obviously the, the horrendous news that James Justin is out for the rest of the season. Um, Castagna's still not back to fitness. So you've only really, you've got Ricardo and Amati. And then obviously Daley Campbell made his debut recently. Looked decent. Um, Fuchs can play in fullbacks as well. But Thomas has played a lot of the Europa League games. So I would I would imagine he'll come in from the start and maybe one other uh, or two others. So I don't I don't think there'll be many more than three changes. And then, as you say, the, the others, like the key players, your Vardys, even your Madisons, your Barnes, if you, uh, if you can get them an hour or so and then get them off, get them recovered, plenty of time for Sunday, then all the better. Yeah, the, the fullback position is in, is going to be interesting to see how they manage it. We obviously not mentioned James Justin again. It happened a while ago now. Terrible, absolutely dreadful. We haven't really had those two with Ricardo and Justin, who are the first choice fullbacks. Justin, because he's played so well, overtaking Castagna, who's doing nothing wrong at all, but Justin, because he's just an upward curve, terrible news. And it was such a roller coaster, wasn't it? You know, initially, oh no, terrible. And then all of a sudden, actually, this could not be as, it might not be as bad as first thought. And then obviously the news that he's out until, well, you're looking Christmas, aren't you, really? But um, I, I agree with you. The fullbacks going to be difficult to predict whether Ricardo Pereira, who I imagine will start, and if he starts, I think he'll start on the right, and then it will be Thomas on the left. I do agree with that. Wouldn't be surprised, wouldn't be surprised at all, if Pereira then starts, but starts on the left, with then Daly Campbell starting on the right. Whether they go, depending on who their left winger is, etc. You know, um, Whether they go that way, and that's no slight to Thomas, but looking at it, if they go, right, actually, Daly Campbell, we, we want you to play. You play on the right. Um, Pereira, you can play on the left with a view of obviously changing. That could always be swapped round and maybe Thomas come on, whatever the case. Uh, that wouldn't be a shock either. I think the rest of the side, the midfield, etc., takes care of itself, centre-half goalkeeper. And then going forward, I'd, I'd imagine Under will start in Europe. Uh, I'd imagine it would be... Barnes and Vardy in the centre. Um, but then if you look at Under starting, Under starting doesn't necessarily mean then, then Vardy will start. I think he will. But if you play Iniacho in the centre of Barnes and then Under, that wouldn't be a problem for me. I think if you play Albrighton on the right and then... Ian Acho in the centre. That's where I, I'd slightly question. I'd like to see Under start with uh, Ian Acho, but that's just a personal opinion. So I'm going to go, actually, with... Now I've talked myself into it. I'm going to go Daly Campbell on the right. I'm going to go Pereira on the left. Centre-halves, midfield, as usual. I'm going to go Under. I'm going to go Barnes. And I'm going to go Vardy in the centre. Because I think Vardy... I think the the conversation will go along the lines of, look, Jamie, 
we want to rest you. Our lo- we're going to play Kelechi from the start. We want to rest you for Villa on Sunday. And Vardy, I think, <clears throat> I think he's going to talk his way into the side. I think he's going to look at this game and go, no, let's kill the game now. Because I think a Leicester win kills the tie. Okay, A draw is a good result. And even maybe going one down, you'd be confident of Leicester winning the home leg. But I think if you kill the game, if you win the game, that's the tie done. Because you'd be confident about Leicester at home with a lead. So I think Vardy's going to look at this and I think he might talk himself into the tie, into the side and say, look, you know, we, we get up here, then you can take me off at any time, half time even. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Vardy from the start. Predictions wise, you reckon they've got goals in them. I reckon we've got goals in us. I reckon it's going to be a. I'm going to go 2-2. Why not? I've, I've backed us to to beat Villa at the weekend, so I'll I'll go 2-2 against Slavia Prague. Well, you go 2-2. Now, with my Leicester head on, or with my betting head on, because I think there's a bit of value in Slavia Prague, you, you might be able to get a bit of 3-1. to one, But I think it's... I think we're going to have to ride out the first half. I think we're going to be put under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. But ultimately, I think we, we've got the quality to make it count. And I think Slavia Prague, I think they look at this tie and go, right, if we're going to win this game or win this tie, we're going to need to be in front going to the King Power and... I think they'll come at Leicester really hard. And I think Leicester will be under the cosh for the first half hour. Hence the reason, play a strong team. So I'm going to go, after all this, I'm going to go Leicester to win. I'm going to go 2-1 Leicester. But I think Leicester will be behind. I think we're going to have to come back into the game. And I think we'll, late on, I think maybe overall fitness and quality might tell late. So I'm going to go Leicester 2-1, but maybe even two late goals to to win it. But uh, I think we've just got too much quality now. Maybe a few years ago it would have been a draw, maybe even a defeat, but we've just got too much quality and I think we'll we'll end up winning 2-1. So 2-1 for me. It's going to be an interesting watch, though, because and and this is what the Europa League brings in terms of a, a, an additional element to the season. You know, when we had teams like Athens and Zoria Luhansk, no idea who half their players were or what kind of style of play, what even what formation or how they would approach the game. So it was just interesting to watch. You know, you, you play in the Premier League, you can pretty much name most players in most Premier League teams. Um, and you could historically for the last 20, 30 years. But these teams where, yeah, yeah, you could find out more about them if you wanted to, but it's almost going to be interesting watching the programme before the match um, in terms of them maybe picking out key players. I just clicked on their captain on their Slavia Prague Wikipedia page while I was listening to you there, Um, and he's got in the teens number of caps for Czech Republic, so he's obviously an all right player. Um, but it'd be interesting to see these players, these, this team that I've never seen play before, uh, how they're going to approach it, how Leicester are going to deal with a slightly, a much less familiar opponent. And European football in general is a slightly different game anyway. So there are lots of 
interesting elements to it. I'm not saying for a second that I'm getting bored of watching Premier League or domestic cup action, but it is an additional element which I'm very much going to enjoy watching um, because it's going to be fascinating. And whether we go out there, they try something that they think is going to work and we absolutely turn them over, or whether they come and have a go at us like like we've uh, kind of half predicted on the on the podcast today um and especially first half or under the cosh i'll find it very intriguing to watch how leicester deal with it um because you know brendan rogers let's say just going back to the liverpool game brendan rogers said it was always the plan if we went behind to switch to the diamond because we knew that would hurt them and obviously the analysts will have watched slavia prague um in great detail to know if certain chain in-game changes like that will benefit leicester but they'll be much less obvious to us, the mere punter. So I've, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, yes, it's only a last 32 first leg tie against Slavia Prague in Europe's secondary club competition. But as a game of football, it promises to be an interesting watch. It really does. It's it's just exciting every time they play in Europe, isn't it? It doesn't matter who they play against. And we're still obviously a way off the, you know, the real top end of the competition, but... You know, fingers crossed. And this is the conversation I've been having the last few days, and we've said it many times before, but when you play against Liverpool and you win, it creates a lot of headlines, it creates a lot of discussion with your mates, etc., because people, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans around, and and you may, oh, yeah, are you going to cash in for the league? And I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter about the league. Man City are going to win that. It's all about top four. Top four is what you want. Uh, all right. I said, yeah, because the difference between us as Leicester fans, depending on where you are in the world, obviously, the difference between us and supporters of most other sides, like Liverpool and Manchester United, mainly the you know the big sides, is that we generally go to the games or have more of an opportunity to go to the games. So qualifying for the top four and playing in Europe is fantastic because we can go. And the whole point about qualifying for the Champions League is because Hopefully, Touchwood, fingers crossed, the world is a better place, but we'll be able to go to the games. Go to the actual bloody games away from home. We should be in Prague. We should be in Prague, Rob, but we're not. Never mind. Never mind. Let it go, Pete. Let it go. But we should have been there. And that's the whole point about football. Anyway, never mind. We should be there, though. <laughs> anyway, yes, we should. Any other business? Well... It's just interesting. I mean, I've only I've been to the Czech Republic a number of times actually for various different reasons, and that you know you go on holidays and work as well. And 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 the three things I've got down for Slavia Prague in the in their league um, in their league form was their home draw was against um, Bruno, which is a place I've been to. Their recent win was Pardubice, which is a place I've been to, and then Prague itself was. A place I've been to. So the only three places I've been to in the Czech Republic are the uh, are the three kind of highlights of their current and domestic form. But there we go. It's uh, it's not exactly going to be the the hardest trip away. Do you know what I mean? We're not talking deepest darkest Ukraine here. Uh, the pitch apparently isn't amazing, and when you hear that from someone who follows. Czech football, that's not great. If it's someone from over here who is used to carpets everywhere and says, oh, it's not great, well, it still actually could be a quite a decent pitch. But for someone who follows Czech football to go, it's not great, well, we'll wait and see whether that's a bit of a leveller or not. Who knows? 
Um, fancy football-wise, we're in the middle of a game week, so it's a slightly awkward. We won't do the top ten because it is slightly awkward. Also, I've dropped down dramatically, but the reason is I did not captain um, Gundogan, who scored what a couple and assisted one, and I think every single person ahead of me has captained him. And it's a double game week for Manchester City. And I believe he's not going to play the next game. So Raheem Sterling, who is my captain, if he bags a couple at Goodison Park, I think it's Wednesday their game, then I will rocket up the league and be back amongst challenging for the top 10. So just watch out, everyone. And um, the main headline is, I think the only person in the top 10 or top 20 who also didn't captain uh, him was the long-time leader Sam Lau. So uh, Luke Taylor has taken over at the top. But again, we'll see how long that lasts because we're in the middle of a game week. But it's uh, it's slightly gone amiss. And also, in my um, in my league with my mates, which I've been top for since week four, um, I'm only four points clear now at the top. So that's kind of gone wrong as well. Uh, never mind. You're relying on Raheem Sterling to drag you back out of that mess, aren't you? Even I captained Gundogan, Pete. Come on, even me down in one hundred and something ridiculous place, uh, captained Gundogan. I'm I'm gutted though that he's that he's probably not going to be available for the midweek game because he he scored uh, nineteen points, I think. So so thirty eight when that's doubled for a captain, which is basically my weekly score in one player. Um, I'm hoping Calvert-Lewin's back. That would be helpful to me because Everton are on a double game week as well. But in unless something goes drastically wrong in the couple of midweek games that are part of this game week, then I'm move, moving on up into the 130s, which is this is unheard of. Dizzy heights for me. Well, I mean, I could, I could rattle on about players, but I, I have really been quite unlucky this week. Um, Calvert-Lewin, by the way, is going to miss the, the, the game against Man City, Ancelotti said. I've, um, I have been unlucky. I don't have Gundogan in my side. Um, I've got three Man City players. I've got the goalkeeper who got an assist, so I've got plenty of points from the goalie. But um, James came on with 10 minutes to go for Chelsea, which is annoying because that means that the Leeds defender, who got six points, is remains on the bench. Michael Keane didn't start against Fulham and he came on with 10 minutes to go and got booked. So that's good for him. Fantastic. Um, Antonio didn't play against Sheffield United, which was annoying. Um, So he doesn't get any points. And then I brought in Ashley Barnes, who still has a home game against Fulham to play. But when you see Burnley winning 3-0 away from home at Palace... You expect Ashley Barnes to have bagged at least one of those three goals. No, and he didn't get any assists either. Wonderful goal by Loughton. What a what a great goal that was. But um, yeah, it just gets basically two points. So I I agree with you on the Barnes front. When I saw Burnley had had, had gone uh, a few goals to the good, I was like, surely, surely he's nodded one down in the box or belted one in from about three yards. But no, all down to the right back who never scores. Yeah, and 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 even Rashford in in midfield, nothing against against West Bromwich Albion. They they look um, really labour, don't they, Manchester United? They're such a weird side. I think they're on the verge of having a good side, but they. I don't, I don't rate Martial. He, he's got all the skills in the world, and I think he's fairly pacey. I won't say he's rapid, but he's not a top four striker. He really isn't. And Rashford is good on the left of a mid of a forward three, 
But he's not going to score you 20 goals from that position. If you want to play him straight down the middle, then fine, he might be that player. But if he's playing on the left, he's going to be dangerous. But I, they're just they're not quite a top four side, I think, Manchester United. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get to the, you know, the, the arse end of the season and United have dropped out of the top four race or are struggling to hang on to the top four. Not just because of their own misgivings, but also with teams coming up from behind, likes of Chelsea, etc. I just think United then just not as consistent. The goalkeeper's a clown, isn't he, as well? So there we go. Whatever. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, by the next time we're back with the podcast, Rob, we are um, in front in the tie against Slavia Prague and uh, and we've bagged three points at Villa Park. It's going to be tough, but uh, whatever the case, we'll be back next week. Get in contact with the podcast. Get in contact via Twitter, at FFSPod on Twitter. And if you search for us on Facebook, just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and you'll find us on there. Also give us a rating as well, however you listen to the podcast, whether it's on Apple iTunes or maybe on Spotify, whatever the case, just go down and give us a, a star rating, hopefully five. If you want to leave a comment, you can do. And uh, for fox8podcast at gmail.com is our email address. Still no maroon shirts. So <laughs> we're waiting to give out the prize for our competition way back in whenever, and they don't have any maroon shirts at the King Power. They're wait- we're still waiting, but who knows when that's going to arrive. And um, and that's it for, for Fox 8. Anything else, Rob? No. Fingers crossed for our predictions to come true. Lots of goals predicted for the next couple of games. Yeah, I can see a Vardy winner in, in Prague and everyone raising a star Prague into it. Mm-hmm.